You're listening to The Cultured Podcast, a weekly conversation hosted by me, Michelle Corey, that breaks down the barriers surrounding art, theater, travel, and more to serve a digestible dose of culture for all. Bonjour, mes amis. C'est Michelle. I miss you, and there is actually a purpose for me speaking French today, and it is because today we are talking to Laurence Vallière, and she is a Montreal-based artist who makes oversized cardboard sculptures of animals, and they are incredible. I cannot wait for you to hear about Laurence and her experience with sculpting and with creating these insane, whimsical creatures all by herself, basically. But first, let's talk about what's inspiring me. And Avi, it connects with this episode because what is inspiring me is the concept of reuse. So reusing something and envisioning something old and making it new again. You know, in Atlanta, we have this era of redevelopment happening where these very old buildings are being turned into new buildings using the old bones and structures. Redevelopment is what we call it. <laughs> and you've seen this, especially in old cities, much older than Atlanta, like in Boston or New York City or Chicago. Redevelopment is a very usual part of the city's life cycle. But to see it happening in a city that has been burnt down a few times and has not done a good job of preserving its buildings is very inspiring. But then also seeing artists who use old materials or found materials like William Massey in Atlanta or Alex Lockwood in Nashville, they use old materials like bottle caps or found metals or pennies. And Laurence, too, who's the guest on this episode, who uses found cardboard. And what I love about that is it's giving new life, new purpose, but also new meaning to these materials. And it shifts our understanding of those materials in a really interesting way so that we start realizing that the definition we give to old things is actually pretty arbitrary. A chair is only a chair because we sit in it and then it becomes a chair. But what happens when you flip a chair on its head? All of a sudden, you can call it a sculpture or a weapon. It can be anything you make it. So that's what I love about the idea of turning something old into something new and sort of repurposing it while redefining it. Anyway, that's what my mind is chewing on this week. I want to hear what's inspiring you and what's got your gears grinding. You know where to reach me, info at culturedpodcast.com. And on the socials, Cultured Podcast, except for Twitter, Cultured Pod. Here we go. Let's talk to Laurence. Bonjour, Laurence. How are you? Bonjour. I'm good. I'm good. Or should I say, comment ça va? Yeah, you can say it like that. <laughs> you can say it like that. You've got a good accent. Oh, merci. <laughs> we are talking to you over Skype. You are in Montreal right now, and that's pretty special. But what's more special is your art. It's absolutely phenomenal. So will you, just for a moment, describe how you see your artwork? Um, I see my artwork as a playful form of 
imagery in 3D. Mm, I love that. So describe it for us. So I made these pretty big, quite giant sculptures out of cardboard. They're very light and they're all animals and they're, they're pretty whimsical. Um, but their sheer size kind of gives, gives you a bit of a heartbeat, you know? Yes. Very kind of fun because of their size. So that's what I do. Fun because of their size, but also because of the choice in material, which is cardboard, you know, and that's something that is around us and abundant uh, at all times that most people throw away. But you repurpose it and you create these massive, way larger than life uh, renditions of animals out of them. So where did that idea originate from? Well, out of need, you know, when you uh, graduate from school, you don't have access to uh, to everything you need. And I wanted to show. I, w- I studied ceramics actually. Like if we start from the uh, from the start, I studied ceramics. I was making those small, nice, figurative sculptures. Mm. And at some point, I wanted to make something gigantic. Um, I rented a big studio space, not a studio space, more like a like a, a squat. And it was massive. And I invited my friends to show. We were making a show uh, for a festival. And it was so big that I thought, oh, my little ceramics are not going to fit there. <laughs> so <laughs> I, was, uh, I was brainstorming with one of my friends. She said, well, Laurent, why don't, you, why don't you make one of your little sculptures in cardboard? Because at this point, I was ready to buy a boat. You know, you can get those like boats that are so damaged on Craigslist. That no one wants them. And I was like, well, I'm getting a boat and I'm painting a boat. But no, no, I made one of my small sculptures in in cardboard in really big because cardboard was available, was right there, was cheap. And uh, and it worked out wonderfully. So oof, I didn't have to buy a boat. Well, well, that's that's kind of the dream, right? Not having to buy a beat up boat. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Oh, man, what would I have done with that boat afterwards? <laughs> right. I don't know. Sell it on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fill it with cardboard animals and then call it Noah's Ark or something. There's Noah's something Ark. there. Maybe There's something Maybe there. I'll end up buying a boat eventually. Hopefully not a sinking one. Yes. You know, a real one. Unless it's made to be sinking. So tell us, how did you get into sculpture? So what is your journey as an artist? Well, I did like every artist. Um, you try everything out at first. So in, in Montreal, I could do welding, I could do um, painting, drawing, photography, like the old style, like black and white. It, it, it was everything. Everything was available. And back then, like, we would have, like, Photoshop classes and computer classes, but it wasn't, it wasn't big as now already, because that was, like, what, in 2004? So it was very hands-on work. And I could tell already that three-dimensional work was more of a was more my thing than than two D and drawing and painting. Why do you think you were more drawn to the third-dimensional artwork? I think it's a brain thing. Hmm. I'm not sure. I don't think in colors. You know, painters, for what I can understand, because I can't do that, but they they can play with colors and trick your eyes with color. And I really do not feel the instinct for that. It yeah. just didn't work out that way in my brain. It was just more complicated. And But 3D, 
see worked right away. Like I could, I understand the materials, all of them. All of the different materials for sculpture? Yes, yes. Plaster, you could do mold making. I loved it, even though it's very tedious. Um, yeah. I was welding a lot. I was working with wood. I was using also um, wire, making 3D animals already, but with tiny mesh wires. And like, there was one type of, I don't do it anymore. I could do, I could start over. I could do it again, but it was pretty much creating a three dimension with just lines. Wow. You know what I mean? Yes, so like yes, your sculpture yes. is completely empty, but you create because of the lines because it, that you're playing, you create a three dimensional space. Uh, I love that kind of thing. Like it fits with my brain. Yeah. I guess. That is fascinating also to think about the way that all of us perceive the world around us and the different materials and processes that just for whatever randomness stick with each of us in a unique way. Exactly. Wow. Okay. So you studied sculpture in school and by necessity, you landed on this way of turning your smaller ceramic sculptures into massive cardboard sculptures and you've been doing it ever since so how long have you been do- working in that kind of medium with those materials so i started cardboard in 2012 six years six years cardboard now i wasn't full-time on it it took me two years after starting with that sc- cardboard sculpture to quit my job, I was a waitress, you know, wow. <laughs> one of those. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you talk about doing it for two years before going full time. So what gave you the the courage or gave you the certainty to then go from doing it freelance or, or on the side to full time? I didn't have the courage. The thing is, I was imagining that my transition from working as a waitress and going full time artist would be like, smooth and I would just be now like oh I make enough money out of art so I'm just gonna you know quit my job but it's it's never like that turns out if you work I was working part-time but if you work even part-time you cannot produce enough totally to 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 make enough money so it really is a leap of faith and what forced me to do that leap of faith was that I was invited to do a trip to uh to make an artwork in Miami and then um, in Miami, after that, I was invited to do a trip to, to exhibit in Germany, as well as in France. <gasps> so they could not give me that, ma- that much time off. So, wow. so I wasn't going to miss that opportunity. You know, I thought, well, I can always go back. So I, I had to quit. You just do it. But I did put money on the side, though, for that moment. So I wasn't completely alone in the way that um well I I had enough to survive if if big if I couldn't sell anything and I was being scammed in Europe and kidnapped (laughs) no not kidnapped I wouldn't have enough money to pay for my own ransom but but I had a bit of money to pay my apartment to like you know and that's the thing though even if you're even if you don't even if you sell really well you do need money on the side, like any business, because you will have liquid problems. So that's a very practical thing that I'm going to say now, but like artists don't know that, but like it takes freaking three months before being paid for your, for your stuff. Galleries, like they'll take months to pay you. So you need money 
just to use it until you get paid. So you can be waiting three months for a $10,000 payment, but you got to live meanwhile. You got to pay your people. You got to eat. You got to. So you always need money on the side, not because you don't sell, but because you need to keep rolling Nohans, while you're waiting. That's such a great point. And, you know, whenever possible, I'd like to bring up those points because I think it also for for non-artists and art and even new artists alike, it, it opens up a whole new side of what it's like to be an artist. And it really helps people understand the trials and tribulations and, and why it's so difficult. No one tells you that in school. But if you go in administration, though, if you're going to start a business, they will tell you that. But actually starting as, a, as an artist is like being self-employed. Mm-hmm. And it's literally starting a business. Oh, absolutely. So was that something that you had to learn over, the, over time? Or is that something you really knew going into it? Like, if I'm going to quit my job and do this, I'm going to look at this as a business. No, I had no idea. Hmm. I had no idea. I learned it on the side. I realized also that I like that and that if I wasn't an artist, I would be still self-employed, you know, yeah. I'd sell socks or whatever, but I would be my own boss. <laughs> That's awesome. And I did not know that. And, you know, I think I believe like the real reason why most, you know, they, most students in art don't make it as artists, you know, um, hmm. They say, oh, only 1% make it, you know, everybody else, 99% fail. They don't fail. They, they just, they're not made to be self-employed necessarily. Mm-hmm. And that, they have no idea. And you don't really know at 16, actually, if that, it's kind of a thing you discovered later. But, you, you know, it's worth it. It's worth because you, you learn lessons anyway. So I'm I'm really curious about your process. You know, I was watching some videos on YouTube and they're like time lapse or, you know, something similar where you get to see you building up the layers of these massive creatures. And just to give people a per, an idea before they see your work, which, of course, will be linked in the show notes and um, is, you're very easy to find. But but just to give listeners an idea of what your work looks like, you have this massive gecko. You have a dinosaur, an enormous gorilla. You have an elephant laying down. You show movement really well, too, in these very still captures. So can you walk us through what the typical process is for you from the, the moment of conception? So what I do is either I pick um, a small sculpture I like, or I make one, I make a sculpture of an animal in clay. And then I just, I measure it and I just blow its proportion. So I use the little bit of mass I remember. So I pretty much have like a 10 centimeter um, by three centimeter sculpture and I just blow it up. I'm like, no, I want it to be 300 centimeters. So there you go. There you go. Um, By 30. (laughs) Easy. And and so I measure everything and now I work with wood. So I start like a frame, very, very simple frame. Like it's not like I'm a carpenter or anything. Yeah. Um, always, always embarrasses me. <laughs> you see all the screws coming out, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, right? It's just, it doesn't matter. It's all covered up. It's, all, it's for it to kind of stand up. And then after that, uh, I do the big lines. And what I call the big lines is mostly like when you start a sculpture it's just like a drawing right like you place everything 
where it has to be. If you start a painting, I believe that's what they do. But what do I know? Mm-hmm. Like big profiles of the animal. So I place where everything is supposed to be, how big the head is supposed to be, the belly, the legs, how high it is supposed to be from the from the floor. And then when I, that's the skeleton, skeleton. And when I'm done, I can start with the, um, the stripes of cardboard and I glue them with uh, hot glue. So your materials are cardboard, wood, hot glue, and then do you use an epoxy on top of it all? I don't use really epoxy anymore. It doesn't really protect it. I, mm. use, a, I use just a water-based varnish. So how do you come up with which animal you're doing next? What's your process of inspiration? Well, it depends all the time. I have my favorites, obviously. And gorillas seem to be one of those? Gorillas, elephants, bears. Mm, so Pretty much those guys. But the gecko was because Hawaii, in Hawaii, they um, they like to, they wanted me to make an animal that was kind of local. Yeah, I really like the gecko and the scale on the gecko. I mean, it's when you have a, a, a large animal like a gorilla made even larger, it's impressive. But when you have a an animal that's typically so small made into a giant animal, that's when it gets real whimsical. You know, that's when your eyes kind of pop. Yeah, I think so. And I arrived with like a small gecko, a small sculpture of a gecko. And they told me, oh, an actual gecko is even smaller than that. I'm like, really? Oh, my God. Those things are tiny. (laughs) And you use, so you focus on realism. So as whimsical as they are, they are very realistic in their shape. And so do you scour through photos and videos or what's your process for actually sketching out the animal? Yeah, I, I, I look at photos mm. usually. It's, um, and then I make it in clay. That's the real sketch. Like I don't, I rarely draw it. Uh, I would only draw it to, to just uh, write the measurements. Mm. Um, so I look at photos and then I make it out of clay. And once I like its shape, I like what it, you know, I can play and, uh, and once I've found really what it's supposed to look like, then, you know, I fire it and, I, and I'm ready to blow it up out of proportion. Um, there's certain animals that are a little harder to make and watching videos do help a lot. And I, when I stayed in Philadelphia, I did like a big animal, a big gorilla in Philadelphia, but I was by the cage of the gorillas. And oh. I could watch them for two weeks. <gasps> Um, interacting and we started interacting together because you could tell like not tell, they probably couldn't tell what I was doing but they it was different because I was there and they could watch me because they do see through the glass like they really do well and and that's kind of I guess feeds into the movement of your sculptures like for instance the the one coming to mind is the elephant sort of laying on the ground and you feel like you've just seen it plop down when you look at that sculpture. So how do you arrive at that kind of emotion and movement with these animals? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> that elephant, <laughs> I, it's not like I saw, I looked at elephants for a while. There was a photo online that I thought that was really nice. It was a, an elephant laying down like this. And I just made an elephant standing up and be fair, like it's the exact same measurement. That's what's easy with sculpture. Mm-hmm. Cause like, these two, is two legs, it doesn't matter how 
their position, they're the same length. I don't need to create like a trick with perspective. It's not right. two dimensions, three dimensions. So, you know, I imagine that if he's lying down, his legs supposed to bend over there and bend over there. First of all, how long does it take you to create a sculpture, let's say, like the gecko? And the gecko took me um, five days. Five days. Wow. And how about the giant gorilla? Which one? Well, right. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I made a bunch of gorillas. Well, the first one took me a month, and now everything is pretty much five days. Tops. Wow. I mean, that's still a lot of work. So you're interacting with this creature, right? You're you're making this creature come to life in a way. And do you create stories about these animals in your head while you're making them? Uh, the first one I did because mm-hmm. I was with a friend of mine. We built it together. Um, and we called him Adrian, like our drawing teacher. <laughs> I saw Adrian years later. And... <laughs> I told him that, and he was like, oh, okay, well, thanks. Um, he was a good teacher. He was fun. He was funny. He had this English accent that made him more funny. Um, that's pretty much the only the only story. I don't get really attached to my sculptures. The thing is, in clay, everything you do at first blows up in the kiln. Hmm. So I learned to not get too attached. And... It just breaks. And, and so, and then now I sell them right away. So, so like, I can't get it. I don't get attached. I make them, I say goodbye, and I leave. That's why we burnt the gecko. I was perfect. Wow. Oh, you burnt the gecko? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my There's this gosh. video on my Instagram. It's a good video. Oof. Yeah. So it really is about the mere act of creating. The process really is everything to you. Yes. And there's yes. a, this sense of detachment that, I mean, I really admire because, you know, artists and writers, we can get very attached to our words or our forms, you know, our creations. Oh, we do. We do. I mean, it's your ego you put out there and then you get very protective of it. And um, But I don't think that's a good thing. I think it's a thing we have to work really, on. Really, I think it helps to just not get attached, to get rid of it. Anyway, like in two weeks, you're going to do something else, it's going to be better. Like you you could get attached because certain things are a milestone. So I have some sculptures that I kept from school because they are kind of a representation of a certain milestone that I turned. But no, no, most of it, I can just throw it away if I have to. Wow. I agree that it's better to be that way. It reminds me of that sand art that Buddhist monks do. I believe it's Buddhist monks. I could be wrong. on Or Tibetan monks. I can't remember. But they're monks. Yeah. <laughs> and they do the sand art. It was in House of Cards. And they they spend like a month every day hunched over making these really intricate mandalas. And then at the end of it, they just sweep all the sand away and it's gone. Yeah. It's about the process. Exactly. It's about the meditative process. So do you feel like you lose yourself in the process, that it becomes a meditative experience for you? Definitely, because you spend, like, hours without talking. Sometimes I spend days without talking. But I do listen to podcasts a lot. So it's like I have a conversation inside. I learn stuff. Sometimes I get really excited about what I learn. Radio Lab is so good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. It really is. Amazing podcast. 
yours too, obviously. I'm oh, honest. thank you, but, duh, obviously. It's Radio Lab and the Cultured Podcast, obviously. Exactly. Two <laughs> top podcasts out there. In the world, right. <laughs> In the world. So I think that opportunity, sometimes that audiobook things too. Mm. Um, I do listen to music too, but not as much as I listen to radio. What is one of the most challenging things about working with cardboard on such a scale? I have gone a bit out of my capacities. Like, I've had a few times I've had people, like, that will host me, like, festivals and stuff. And they're like, what's the biggest you've been? And I'm like, well, three meters and a, three meters and a half. And they're like, all right, we'll start from there. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you guys don't pay me. <laughs> Please. They so, don't pay you? And they're asking for that? No. Oof. Yeah, they're like, Go the, the, we want the largest sculpture you've ever made. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is a lot of work, guys. Like, this is getting complicated. Mm. So one time I did this, like, four-meter-tall, like, monkey-slash-gorilla-slash-I don't really – I'm not sure what it – it was a ape of some sort. And I kind of blew the proportion. I mean, it mostly was there. But I knew I could do better. And the thing is, it was just too high for me. I needed a scaffolding at some point. Oh I needed a bigger God. structure in the wood. I was not home. I was on a trip. I had a timeline. And I was just too much. And I, and I, and I had to do it in two pieces because it wouldn't fit the doors, obviously. Right. 13 feet and I tall? Thought, Lord. And I thought, no, you know, that's too big for me. If I want to do that, then it has to be, I have, I need more time. Mm -hmm. I need more people that, and they, you know, when you go abroad, they tell you also like, oh, um, we'll give you, we'll give you assistance, but it's not like your assistant. It's just, you know, some kid that want to help. And that's awesome, but it's not efficient when you are on a schedule and, and they don't know, you have to teach them and it's fine, but like. It was not. It was not enough. I needed more, and that was that was really stress, stressful. It was not fun. So now, when they when people tell me that, because they don't know, they don't know what it is. You know, they think like I often travel with graffiti artists, and those guys can, for some reason, go as big as a country. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's not sculpture. It's a bit different. So I can work fast, but you know, I have a limit. And um, so so three meters is now my limit when I travel. So speaking of assistance, do you have assistance or do you do all of these by yourself? Oh, I did have an assistant, Alice, for one whole year. She's great. Uh, we traveled a lot together. Um, we built a lot of work and, yeah, it went way better. Like she would do all the boring stuff, like mm. making the strips of cardboard and yeah. And she would fill up. Anyway, she was, she was very good. Now she's her own artist. Maybe one day you'll interview her. Um, and I went back to working by myself. Oh, wow. That's that's tough to go back after having that kind of assistance. Yeah, that's it. But, but at the same time, I was making, I was producing a lot more. And it was a little too fast for me. Mm, yeah. I kind of ran out of concept at some point. I was like, you know what? Like, this is not normal. I usually don't run out of concept. It's <laughs> like we were working too fast. I was pressured into building and building and building. And I just now, this year, what I'm trying is to not make nonstop sculptures, but working on big projects that I really like. 
What are some of the things that you're planning for your future with your art? Are there ways that you want to evolve or transform? Are there things that you want to experiment with? What do you have in the books? Oh, I want to work. I want to cast my work in bronze. Oh. I really want to do that. Now, massive scale artwork should be outside. Anyway, animals should live outside. Live outside anyway. Oh, I love it. Um, I want to make them in bronze so they can be permanent because cardboard isn't permanent, which is fine, but I would like to have some of my work be permanent. Well, and that would be so cool to see the texture of the cardboard strips in bronze. I think so, too. Now I just need to convince someone with (laughs) $50,000. Well, there you go. Cultured crew, get on it. (laughs) Hey, you guys. (laughs) Please. No, it would be amazing. It really would be. I think so. And I would like to, you know, with the patinas, you can give it any color you want. So I could make him look like cardboard. It could be like, oh, my God, it's a giant gorilla in cardboard. And oh, no, wait. Not cardboard. Just looks like cardboard. Oh my God, Laurence! Now I'm now I'm attached to this idea. It has to happen. <laughs> it has to happen. Right? So, yeah, I want to use other trash, like plastic. Mm. There's way too much plastic everywhere. But it's hard to use trash to make art that does not look like trash. So yeah. I still have to work on that concept. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of which, you. I, I imagine you have to order cardboard. I mean, I imagine because of the scale that nope. you're working with, you don't order cardboard? No. Nope. Oh, it's all found? No, nope. it's all found. What? Well, I mean, now that I work in a, in a factory, in a screen printing factory, there's moments where I'm lazy and I'll just use, like, some folded cardboard that's there. Yeah. But uh, most of the time, like... Um, I have IKEA cardboard that I just take from friends and where I find in the trash. Wow. So do you have like mm-hmm. scavenging trips where you go out to like recycle bins or something? Well, now you have to remember I'm a lazy human being. So <laughs> I don't know how lazy happened? you can be if you're like spending five days on a sculpture. So your standards are a little different than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lazy when it comes to scavenging. In my old studio, I had like uh, it was in a big building where there was tons of, uh, of offices, and there was a place where everybody would dump their recycling cardboard. So I had everything I needed there. Just surprising, just a few offices would give me enough cardboard oh. to build massive gorillas, which tells us a lot about the amount of waste yes, we create. It really does. Um, now, when I travel, I have bought recycle, like, because people usually, there's companies that just find cardboard and sell it to recycling companies. So I had to buy, like, old boxes, like, which was weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have cheated. I've had, like, for the elephants, for example, like, I just said I needed cardboard, thin and, and thick, and they ordered it. And it was amazing because yeah. <laughs> it was so clean and so easy. And everybody was the same size. You could, like, cut so many pieces at the same time. It was just so great and very tempting to do that all the time. Well, thank you so much. This has been so enlightening and fascinating to learn about your process and what inspires you in your journey to creating these oversized cardboard animals. So thank you for being on the Cultured Podcast today. 
Very welcome. Mon Dieu! She is amazing! Seriously, I cannot emphasize enough. You have got to see her work for yourself. You can see it at culturedpodcast.com. Her episode is going to be on the homepage the week that it's released. And other than that, you can find it at culturedpodcast.com slash episodes because I'm going to do a gallery of her work. You're going to be able to see some of her most exciting pieces. But you can also always find her on the socials. You can find her on Instagram at Laurence. Val. And so that's L-A-U-R-E-N-C-E-V-A-L. You can also go to her website, laurencevalier.com. And you know what, y'all? It's a long thing to spell, so just go to the show notes. All of the tasty links are there for you, as always. I got your back, boo. Dig as deep as you want to dig in those show notes. There's a good amount of information that we include. And until next time, keep it classy. Be curious, keep it cultured. I'm Michelle Corey. Sean Powers is our producer. Cooper Skinner is our engineer. Ina Garkusha is our editor. The Cultured Podcast is a production of Listen Up Podcasts, made with love in Atlanta. You can listen to Cultured on culturedpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere podcasts are found.